speaking of significant historical moments, it's time for History Matters This Week in History with Scott Washington, historian extraordinaire, joining us here in the studio. Good morning. Good morning, Aaron. Well, you know, timing is everything, isn't it? It's yes. <laughs> and when you're, I'm so glad you mentioned uh, Libba Cotton because, of course, it's she has such an interesting story. Oh, you know, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, here she's growing up in Carborough. Uh, she teaches herself guitar. Uh, she's uh, one of nine children, or no, I'm sorry, that, that, sorry, that's another woman I'm excited to tell you about this morning. <laughs> not, not nine, but she is, uh, in her family, she learns and she uh, actually uh, composes that song, Freight Train, that's mm-hmm. so well known. Um, but then she marries uh, at the age of 17, and we probably would never have heard about her because she's doing domestic work. She puts aside, she has kids, she puts aside the guitar, and that's it. And then one day... This is such a fun, wild story. Oh, my gosh. Um, She uh, sees a child just lost in a department store. She's working in the department store, I think, at that point. And and so she comes up to the child. The mother reunites. It's part of the Seeger family. (laughs) And um, you think of Pete Seeger, the folk. And so she begins, they, they invite her to come work for her, not knowing anything about her music background at all. And it's only then, later on, as she, as she picks up the guitar and basically reteaches herself, and the Seekers say, oh, my gosh. And they start <laughs> recording her and saying, who is this person? I mean, you know, that's one of the great stories. You know, yeah. you think of uh, first act, second act, and then you have this incredible third act uh, that uh, certainly, you know, otherwise we would have not have heard of her. And, of course, the classic detail about Elizabeth Cotton is she was left-handed with a right-handed guitar, teaching herself how to play just by flipping the guitar upside down yes. and learning how to play that way. It's yeah. so, and you, if you ever see any of her the films about her, you're mm. like, well, how is she playing <laughs> this? But I just love it. And, you know, that extraordinary act of kindness by the Seekers. I mean, it's a lost child. But they could have said, well, thank you very much and gone on their way. Instead, they reached out and changes her life and changes all of our lives. Yeah. And, you know, there there is that thin line between coincidence and destiny, I think, sometimes. <laughs> well, here's another woman uh, that we might not have heard about. Well, we probably would have eventually, but um, her name is Jeanette uh, Ridlon Picard. She's born January 5th, 1895. And... Um, uh, she is one of nine children. That's the other one. There we go. All right. <laughs> and, um, I don't actually know how many siblings Elizabeth Cotton had. It, she could have been one of nine children, too. I'm I don't sure know. There maybe nine children in her neighborhood. Possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Uh, but I'm going to say you're right on that until we get evidence to the contrary. Well, here is the interesting thing about uh, Jean Ridland Picard. Now, some of you who are Star Trek plan- fans, you go, oh, Jean-Luc Picard. Oh, is there... No, no relation as far as we know. <laughs> but maybe so because um, she uh, grows up and she has really an interest in science and religion. Um, which is an unusual... This uh, sounds pretty Star Trek-y so far. It does, it does. And here is the interesting thing. They, the, this couple, she marries, and they get into ballooning, believe it or not. And in uh, the early 1930s, I mean, this is how early this was. I want to say 1936, um, she actually sets a record uh, for uh, being a woman who takes a balloon, a balloon, <laughs> the highest, and into the stratosphere, and is some credit as the first space flight 
by going up in a balloon. I, you All know, right. it's just amazing to think. And she, yes, she does land and bring down successfully. Which At is... what point do you say <laughs> I've gone far enough? If you're like going up, up, up. Like, did she go further than she was expecting to? Uh, did she uh, get to a certain point as she looks down and she sees, like, <laughs> continents and oceans? Like, okay, I can descend are a little at bit this closer. point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, that's, that's, well, she's, uh, uh, <laughs> they call her the first licensed balloon pilot. And I'm thinking, do they have license for balloon pilots? <laughs> but apparently they did. Um, and that man, the first licensed balloon pilot did that with a balloon. Yes. I would just cancel the whole licensing well, program. I'm after sorry, that. I said 1936. It was actually 1934, and she reaches a height of. Uh, get this, I, I can't even imagine this. Uh, 10.9 miles up in a balloon. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. You have to have a real sense of adventure and like. How do I get this thing down? You know, I think of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I can't stop this crazy thing. I don't know how it works. But she got it down. She does. Yeah. And, but she also sets another record. Uh, basically, later in life, um, uh, she becomes one of the first uh, women uh, ordained as an Episcopal priest in mm-hmm. 1971 and serves uh, her life that way, which is just like such an unusual mixture of science and religion uh, coming about that I thought uh, that's that's noteworthy. So uh, between Libba Cotton Day, uh, we have uh, Miss Picard who uh, does her incredible kind of feat uh-huh. as well. Um, oh, now I've got to tell you about another one. If if you've ever used recipes, and I think one of the great things about the internet, as we all know, is being able to look up a recipe and say, well, I only have two ingredients, and sure enough, there's always somebody's figured it out. <laughs> Or in the comments say, well, I did this. And you go, oh, my gosh, that works. I've well, got zucchini and ketchup. What do you got? <laughs> well. Well, we can thank uh, somebody. Now, you've probably heard of this, the Fanny Farmer cookbook. You thought yes. that was made up. No, this was a real woman named Fanny Farmer. And she was born in 1857 in Boston. And um, on January 7th, 1896, she publishes this cookbook. And it was originally titled the 1896 Boston Cooking School Cookbook. Well, you can see how that would not probably didn't last sell a long too time. well, it yeah. Uh, but it was really long, like 600 pages, and uh, included like hundreds and hundreds of recipes, and was moderately priced at I think about two dollars, which would have been still considerable. That's a lot back then. Back yeah. then, that's right. Um, but what was unusual about this cookbook? was that she introduced the concept of measurements with spoons and, you know, things we take for granted now. How many tablespoons, how many cups, and... Up until that time, it was pretty much, well, you take, and you've seen some of the cooking shows, well, you just take you just a handful take a of this, of that. and put it in your like, <laughs> what are they Splash doing? of this. <laughs> but she standardized that and uh, changed everything. I mean, even someone as, uh, with two left thumbs as a cook, I finally was like, oh, I think I can follow this recipe. And um, so we all have a big... Uh, Big word of thanks to these people. I was curious about the the slight difference that you would end up with in the recipes versus like the the British American measurements versus the metric right. measurements, right? Like you oh, can uh, you can major. almost approximate it, but it's going to be slightly different. And how does that affect the well, taste? Well, you know, I had a question about this one time because it said something about two grams of something. So I called in to one of the 
the places that make flour? And I said, okay, um, what is this? And the person answered was very kind. And he said, well, he said, what you're confusing is volume and, and weight. Right. And I said, well, how do I translate it? He said, well, you'll have to kind of experiment a little bit. <laughs> and it ended up being like, oh, two uh, grams of whatever it was, it was probably something moderate, uh, like baking soda, right, whatever, right. was equal to about a quarter teaspoon, which okay. I had to actually get a, a, a digital scale to say, is this right? Cause, <laughs> because they couldn't really advise me, and I got all measurements all over the place. <laughs> so, you know, thank if only Fanny Farmer uh, had applied uh, that to there the measurements, because you you're right, English recipes are different. Speaking with uh, Scott Washington, History Matters, uh, one more, what do we got? Okay, um, well, here is one. If we feel like, oh boy, it's cold, or well, then we can also give a big thanks to a fellow named Willis Carrier, who was granted a patent uh, in on January second, nineteen o six, for uh, invention of what we would call the modern style electric air conditioner. And uh, what's incredible about this is that. As he grew up in uh, New York, um, he, and he gets a, a master's degree in engineering, uh, but then he's called in to help with a company that's printing. And because of the humidity over the summertime, they, they cannot get the printing presses right because there's either too much humidity or not enough, and they have to print pages over and over to get the right uh, color spread. So he figures out how to do this in a building and a closed system to reduce humidity or add humidity, uh, which is the basis of all modern air conditioning, which is just incredible to think, oh, yeah, we all owe a huge debt to this fellow who figured out how to do that, uh, all because uh, he kind of followed a gut instinct like all these other people who are why the, the biographies of history drive history in such a profound way. And that is how history matters. Scott Washington, as thank always, you. thank you so much.